Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to Securing Bridges. This is our very first episode. We are kicking off a brand new show here on ITSP Magazine. I'm so excited to have you joining us. So, Securing Bridges, what is what is this all about? Well, hey, it's me, Alyssa Miller. If you don't know me, I'm a business information security officer. And what that means is my focus is on building bridges between security and the rest of the organization, the the infamous business, the thing that keeps us going, the reason that we exist in our organizations. And so this podcast, this live event that we're going to do every week at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's all about exploring those leadership topics of how do we connect cybersecurity, our programs, our initiatives, all those things that we know we got to do to reduce risk for our organizations and, and make ourselves more resilient. How do we connect that to the business? How do we build and secure those bridges between our organization and the rest of the business? That's what we're exploring here every week. I'm so excited because we have great guests. We're already booked out through the first month. We've got people like Accidental CISO. We're going to have Jules Okafer join us. We've got Wolfgang Gerlich coming up in a couple weeks. But today, our very first guest, I cannot tell you how awesome this is to have with us Keon Williams. So I'm not going to do too much intro other than to say, you know, Keon and I met during a virtual event uh, last year, I believe, and um, really got to having some conversations that just, we, we, we saw a lot of things that were really important in how to connect security to the business. And so when I started this show, I thought that Keon, absolutely perfect first guest to have on. So Keon, Welcome aboard. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourselves to everybody else who's watching. Sure. You know, credit where credit is due. I think Alyssa is being a little modest. She was one of the first people to start talking about deep fake at a very large industry conference about two years ago. And ever since then, we have continued to hang out with each other. But I do want to make sure that um, in all of the modesty that she exudes, she should get credit for excellent wisdom that was shared at that conference and has continued to progress, which is why I'm such, I'm really excited. I'm trying not to get too effusive, but (laughs) I'm very happy to be here and to continue some of the great conversations that we've had. Um, About me, I used to be a security executive at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I ran very large security programs. Um, Honestly, I was not in charge of everything, but the slice of the agency that I was in charge of had a lot of critical infrastructure. We did a lot of cloud systems and I did things in global health. And that background has allowed me to run a successful consulting company 
to be a good advisor to the Information System Security Association. So I was previously a director on the board at ISSA. I was the president of ISSA for a little while, and I now have the best title ever in governance. I am the past president, and so I have influence with, with no responsibility. It is a great position to be in. That's awesome. So also, funniest man in cybersecurity, that's what it says on your LinkedIn. I got to know first what that's all about. Yeah, so uh, Jeff Justice does a comedy workshop in Atlanta. So I went through the grueling process that he has. He even had an 85-page textbook, and I read it from cover to cover, but I have stood up on stage and done stand-up comedy. I had the honor of being at the punchline at the beginning of February, and I look forward to coming back and cracking non-cybersecurity jokes for an audience of regular people uh, coming to a stage near you in the future. I mean, what I just heard is this is why people need to hire you to keynote their conferences. But anyway, I mean, come on, a, a comedian on stage talking cybersecurity and cracking jokes about cybersecurity could be awesome. So let, let's dig in. Um, you know, as I said, the, the point of this show is really to get into some what I feel are really important conversations. And I know we we agree to a large extent on this. Just that whole disconnect that I think we still feel today between the cybersecurity organization and everybody else in the business. Uh, there's we just had a there was a Twitter thread not too long ago that I started that went really quite crazy talking about um, you know, how we're still seen as the department of no. And so I'm really just curious right from the start to kind of hear what your experience is in, in sort of present day versus where we've been. Is that something you still feel is, you know, kind of a prominent attitude or, or where do you think, am, am I completely mistaken there? Maybe my view is a little different. No, I think you're right on track. You know, full disclosure, I work as a consultant these days. I'm not sure I will ever be a CISO again because of the disconnect between the business and the security function. Um, one of the things that I try to encourage business people to recognize is that security really is a risk management activity. Security is one of the key risks that organizations face. Even the World Economic Forum talks about security as one of the top five risks that are facing society and global economics and individual businesses that contribute to success. So it's a very important topic. I think the issue that organizations are facing is they, feel, they still think about cybersecurity as IT security. And so preceding the word security with information technology then leads people to only consider the technical aspect of the service that that function provides in the business, rather than considering that it's a combination of people, process, and technology that are working together to reduce risk to an acceptable level. And so if you use my definition, it resonates more with business people who don't have a technical background. If you use the old school definition, or even if you bring the CIA triad to a business meeting, everybody's gonna think technology first and they completely overlook all of the aspects of program management and financial management and investing the right resources to produce those risk management outcomes that every business needs to handle. Yeah, I and mean, it's a good point. I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an organization today that has a risk register that doesn't have cybersecurity on it somewhere near the top. Um, I know when I speak to some of my boards that, you know, it, it's always top of mind, right? I mean, of course, that's why they're asking me to be there. 
But um, so when we talk about this idea of risk management, do you, do you feel like there's something we could do differently from a security perspective to bring that message and maybe make it resonate a little bit more with the business when we're having those conversations? How, how have you been able to approach that? Well, I think one thing that people often overlook is that risk management is risk management, regardless of the focus. And so if you look at standards like COSO or ISO 31000 that focus on enterprise risk management, the approach that they follow to manage enterprise risk is exactly the same as the approach that we use for cybersecurity risk. So you start with establishing context, you do a risk assessment, you understand your exposure, you provide risk treatment, you monitor it, you communicate. It is the same conversation over and over again. And so the thing that I encourage CISOs and CIOs and other people that I have the opportunity to talk to is talk in risk management terms, even if the outcome that you want to produce is better security, because people who have a business degree, every MBA learns risk management because they have to manage operational risk and revenue risk. And so if you talk in terms of exposures and remediation and internal controls, you even have con internal controls for financial risk management. It's really going to cause people to speak the same language and have the same understanding, which then produces everybody to recognize the value the security is bringing to the risk management party. I love this because I, I, I reference Twitter a lot. What can I say? I live on Twitter, right? I, I mean, so many security people do, but um, you know, it, it's funny because somebody asked me a while ago, um, or I, yeah, I think they take me in a thread and they asked, you know, if I want to get into security leadership, what training or whatever should I do? And what I told them right away was go out and learn MBA concepts because you bring up a really good point. You know, when we think about security as risk management, we have to remember that cybersecurity is just one of a big pool of different types of risks that we're dealing with. And you named a number of them, financial risk, there's IT risk that isn't necessarily cybersecurity. Um, there's, you know, reputational risk. There's all sorts of things that are a part of that. And it, it's easy for us sometimes, I think, in cybersecurity to, to lose sight of um, the fact that we're just a small component of that. It's what we eat, sleep, and breathe every day, maybe. And we, we definitely understand its importance to the organization but it, it's tough if we forget that, well, the organization is worried about a lot of other moving parts and components here too. So changing gears just a little bit, I know that you do some work in terms of training. Um, you, you kind of alluded to it, you know, when you're working with CISOs and stuff. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about the, the types of training that you've been involved in and how you, you're kind of t uh, bringing that message home as far as understanding risk management at, at the broader scale? Sure. So once upon a time, I worked for a training certification organization. And so I was deeply involved in producing the content that was used for the accredited course. And one of the things that I recognized after leaving the organization is that we're really not covering everything. And so understanding how the certification industry works generally, you know, you can pick your favorite certification. It doesn't really matter. There's always a narrow focus on this is what you need to know to pass the test and then you'll magically be successful. But then I also teach, I used to teach um, higher learning. So I taught at the graduate school in an MBA program 
at also I'll leave that university out of the um, conversation, not because they're not awesome, but we want to stay neutral. And so you combine somebody who built a certification they ended up being accredited with somebody who used to teach graduate students in an MBA program. And so what I created was really an executive education course that combines cybersecurity, risk management, privacy management, and strategic planning into a cohort-based approach. And so whether people take my class or not, doesn't really matter. I hope you join me on that educational adventure, but the outcome that's produced, I think is really valuable. And the foundation of the conversation is that all risk, regardless of the focus, falls into one of four categories that I call the four R's of risk. So the primary risk area that business people care about is revenue. Whether it's a nonprofit or a commercial organization, you need money to feed the beast and support your operations, even if it's something as simple as salary and benefits. Uh, the second R of risk is resilience. So Alyssa, it touches a little bit on what you talked about with IT, but not being focused on security it is very difficult for a modern business to operate without information technology and systems and services, data processing. And so now you have revenue, you have operational resilience that we'll just call resilience. So I have my four R's. Regulatory requirements is very impactful for most organizations. You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you have personal information, you are subject to some law or regulation that has a financial impact and penalties if you have a breach of personal information. So regulations become very important. And then reputation is the fourth R. Reputation is extremely important for a lot of businesses that are the brands that you see on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. They care about their reputation because their reputation influences their position in the marketplace. A lot of larger companies might not go out of business because they had a data breach, but they lose market share, which drives revenue down. So it's all tied together. If people can learn to align their cybersecurity conversation to what is the impact of my recommendation on these four risk areas, the business is going to stand up, they're going to pay attention, they're going to be much more willing to invest. And that conversation is even more impactful when you talk to directors on a board of directors, because directors have a fiduciary responsibility to operate in the best interest of the business. So security presents to the board and says, these are our risk areas. This is the possible outcome that could happen if we pay no attention. This is what I recommend for remediation, and this is what it's going to cost. You can answer those four questions in the 15 minutes that they give you, but those 15 minutes are an impactful 15 minutes instead of talking about, hey, I'm happy to tell you that the firewall stopped 45 quadrillion attempted penetrations. That has no relevance to those risk areas, but talking about problems and solutions and what it's going to cost and the impact of the risk areas adds a lot more value and resonates much more with non-technical business executives who are at the board or is going to resonate with business leaders who are accountable to the board for managing and directing the organization. Yeah, I, I it's so interesting because I do, you know, I get into some of these board meetings and they're actually asking for those numbers like, well, can you tell me how successful we've been blocking attacks? And it's, it's always interesting to try to help them understand like, look, yes, I could give you a bunch of metrics from firewalls and IPS and all this stuff. And it, it's going to be completely meaningless to you. So let's, let's instead not talk about the what's let's talk about the why's. what are we, you know, what are we doing? But why are we doing it? 
And I think that's such an important concept for especially younger executives as you first start going to the board just to understand like, you know, yeah, we, we'd we like to talk about all the technologies and the things that we're doing. And we make certain assumptions that maybe people understand things that they don't or that they even care. Like let's, so one of the things that I, I do tell people that I coach that are kind of getting into more of these leadership roles is really focus on that why. Yes, you need to label what you're doing with a what, this is called this, but this is why we're doing it. And here's the roadmap that's going to bring us from where we are today to this goal state that we want to get to. Um, so you mentioned, you know, again, we're, we're talking about breaches and of course, when the breach conversation comes up, there's that, that scariness of, you know, what does it mean? Is it going to hurt us market share? Are we a, a brand that relies heavily on our reputation? And so reputational damage could really be, you know, eroding our competitive advantage, I feel like there's a flip side there, though, that we tend to use FUD a lot, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt in cybersecurity to try to drive people to action, and that doesn't seem to work. So I'm kind of curious, how do you, when you're working with uh, your, uh, I guess you call them students, um, you know, how, how do you how do you kind of teach them that balance between, yes, you need to communicate what those scenarios could look like and what the risks are without going in there and just trying to scare the pants off of your board of directors. Well, so it's two slices of bread on the same sandwich. So on one slice of bread where we're putting the peanut butter, you, you really have to know how the business operates if you're going to talk about risk, because you can't talk about what is happening at the firewall if you can't tie the activity at the firewall to a specific critical operational activity within the organization. So one thing I encourage everybody to do is participate and or lead a business impact analysis so that you can at least identify the critical systems, what are the components and how do they function. Um, the other side, so we gotta have jelly if we have peanut butter. So the other side of that sandwich is how do you quantify the risk for the things that matter? And so personally, I am a huge fan of factor analysis of information risk from the open group. Uh, FAIR is a great tool to quantify risk in financial terms and so now everything in the sphere of cybersecurity has a good definition of risk because FAIR has an ontology that defines risk in terms that everybody can agree with, but it also helps you represent for these top 10 systems, what is the total financial impact if we have a compromise. Um, FAIR is unique because it's the only thing as a risk quantification framework that thinks about primary losses and secondary losses. So your primary loss might be revenue that I lose today because the system is offline, but then my secondary loss accounts for regulators and customers coming back and executing fines and the service level agreement. And so now you can look at the total cost of having a breach or an incident or something that causes an outage, which then drives how much money do I need to prevent these total losses? And so if the calculation says we are our exposure is $10 million if we have an outage that lasts a week and the control to prevent that exposure costs $100,000, who in their right business mind is not gonna spend $100,000 to prevent a $10 million exposure? You know, the other thing is that NIST Special Publication 800-55 is a very good and free tool 
that comes with instructions and worksheets and our tax dollars, if you're in the United States paid for it, our tax dollars provide a resource that allows you to organize your security metrics into three buckets where you have one bucket that focuses on how good are your policies and your security program. You have a second bucket that focuses on your technical controls. You have a third bucket that focuses specifically with a formula for calculating it. What are the consequences of a security incident or a data breach or some other impact? That third bucket is the only thing I would ever present to the board because now we're talking about consequences in measurable terms for which I as the security leader, regardless of my title, can recommend a solution that is gonna make the organization better. That is a valid business discussion that any security person can lead that then makes that security person indispensable because the organization says, oh my goodness, they do the Macaulay caulking. <laughs> you know, they put their hands on their cheeks and say, this person really knows what he or she is talking about. I need to invite this person to every meeting so that I can give good feedback about how we control the security risk in conjunction with all the other initiatives related to that business activity. Yeah, and th these are really good points that I love, honestly, about this conversation already is you're there with, you understand the various frameworks and you know what they are. And the reason that that stands out to me a little bit is I think a lot of us in security, you know, we're technologists at heart, many, many of us, right? And Many, you know, I mean, for me, you know, I, I got started as a hacker and a programmer and I, you know, over time, of course, you know, kind of grown in terms of the, the view of the conversations that I have and the responsibilities that I have in my various roles. And I think as you move up again, kind of back to that MBA topic, you know, you slowly more and more start to realize that, yeah, all these frameworks that maybe as a technologist, I kind of didn't want to talk about, like they seemed really lofty and, and really, you know, just kind of unrealistic or detached from reality. It's as you start to elevate, you start to see where they connect and the fact that they are actually useful and the information there and the way that they're structured really does play into connecting security and the business together to speak a common language. So I'm, do you run into people with that, that same scenario? Have you run into that where, you know, they're kind of like, well, yeah, I don't want to deal with fair. Cause that's just, you know, that that's some academic framework. I've heard that line said before, you know, um, do, do you get that too? And I'm just kind of curious, what's your response when you hear that? Well, if I put my teacher hat on, one of the things that people have to recognize is that anything worth doing requires some effort. So FAIR is not the easiest thing that you ever ran into. It's also difficult because you have to perform the analysis for every risk that you can conceive of that is going to potentially affect a single asset. So then you get a huge number of risk quantification that you've done, and then you got to aggregate it and do all kinds of other fancy things, which is the reason that I said, first, you want to do the business impact analysis, understand what's important, and then I would only do FAIR for the top 10 things in the business that are generating the most revenue or mean the most. You know, if you're not using FAIR, then you can use other things. I mean, you could use your standard CISSP annualized loss expectancy formula for all the things that are not the top 10 so that you at least can rank and prioritize the risks based on financial losses. The challenge that I really run into is that most CISOs you know, I'll give a random number. So we'll say 87.3% of CISOs that are out there are excellent technologists, but they don't have any business training 
because most certifications don't cover business. Um, there is no degree program certified by the NSA for those schools that are cybersecurity centers for excellence that cover anything related to business. So the individual has to have a good coach, a good mentor or a good advisor that says, hey, maybe you should take some business electives or get a business degree to supplement all of this technical knowledge that you have so that you can transform all of the information that you have into a format that resonates with the people who are gonna make a decision based on what you tell them. And so I'm somewhat unique because my graduate degree is an MBA, but I tried to do a master's in computer science and the first things that they wanted me to learn was assembly level language and first order logic. <laughs> now, these things are great if I'm reverse engineering malware. They do very little if the audience that I'm talking to is the chief financial officer or the chief executive officer, or you know, I'm presenting to the board of directors once a quarter. They really don't care about how you program in COBOL or C++ or you know, how do you do first order logic from a computer science perspective. And so one of the best things that any security person can do is either subscribe to a business journal and read it regularly, because there are some great magazines that cover everything you would have in an MBA without the cost of an MBA, or if your employer is going to support it or you have the resources. My opinion is biased because I have one, but I highly recommend a business degree because all the things I learned in my finance class and my economics classes and, you know, those kind, I even learned strategic planning in my graduate degree. Those things matter to the business. And most of your business people have masters in business rather than masters in computer science. If anything, it helps everybody speak the same language so that we know what we care about and what we're going to do to address it. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll throw it out here, not the, not as necessarily, well, I guess it's my personal endorsement, but um, one thing that was recommended to me, if you don't want to go chase, uh, you know, an MBA degree, if you're not looking to go back to school, there's a book out there that I've been really fond of. Um, I haven't read the whole thing yet. Um, I'm about two thirds of the way through it, but it's called The 10 Day MBA. And honestly, Very good book. yeah, it, it's a wonderful book. And I, I, can't stress enough to our viewers, if you're looking to grow in security leadership and you don't have a, a business background of some fashion, it, it's absolutely an invaluable tool. It will teach you so much about just some of the language and some of the concepts, the things that your CFO, your CEO, your even your maybe your COO are thinking, you know, the, the things that are all going through their heads that maybe you don't realize. And so it really helps connect. Um, so thinking about this, now you're involved in an organization and first I, I'll let you first just tell us about what, what the organization is and what it does. But I know you just did an event last night with them where you were able to talk to some non-security people and kind of bring a, a good cybersecurity message. So start off, just tell us a little bit more about this organization, what women want. Yeah, so it sounds weird because I am a male chapter director in a professional association dedicated to advancing opportunities for women. But I'm friends with the um, with the founder, I'm friends with the CEO, and I've sponsored the organization many times before I became a member myself. One of the things that I recognized, there were two statistics that we talked about in honor of International Women's Day last night. Um, statistic number one, 50% of small businesses owned by women are out of business if they have a data breach. Uh, statistic number two, is that two thirds of small and medium businesses 
regardless of the gender of the owner, are out of business within 12 months after a data breach or a cyber attack. And most of the members in What Women Want are executives, they're running their own businesses, they're doing great things for the world, but there are very few technology people in the organization. And so the goal of me serving as a chapter director is to provide an educational opportunity to the women who are represented by the organization to make sure that they are part of the 50% that stay in business so that they don't have any problems. And our topic yesterday was a good example. Uh, last night, we talked about strategies to protect customer information. And so I didn't bill it as a privacy conversation, but we spent a meaningful amount of time talking about what are the essential things that you need to do so that you qualify for cyber insurance because most of them are not technical. And then we talked about the fair information um, practice principles from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. So there are eight privacy principles that allow an organization, if they meet those requirements, to at least claim that they're doing a good job protecting the information of their customers. And so you imagine if I have a data breach, the average cost of a data breach is about $4 million. We can stop all of those businesses that are represented by the association from losing $4 million in fines and costs and overhead simply by having a conversation on a Tuesday evening to make sure that everybody knows what to do to get started. And most of those things are very straightforward. You know, it's things like patching all your systems, updating your software, turning on multi-factor authentication everywhere that you can. Very simple for security people, but a business person who has never had that conversation would be unaware of the minimum requirements for insurability so that their insurance company pays that $4 million cost instead of taking it out of the bottom line. And then it affects the business owner, the family, the family of all the employees and everybody else, because all your revenue is tied up in fines instead of investing a little bit on the front end to make sure that your exposure is reduced as much as possible. That's awesome. And that, I mean, because those are the kind of conversations we're really looking for. Um, I can't, you know, I, I can't count how many times I've seen or heard somebody in security say, well, you know, the executives just don't listen. Management doesn't care. They don't, they don't understand. And I'm always left feeling like, you know, isn't that on us in security? If they don't understand, it's because we're not conveying the message appropriately. If they don't care, it's because we're not bringing the correct context or in a way that's meaningful and understandable for them. And so I'm, I feel like I, I challenge people when I hear those things to really, you know, think about it and, and self-analyze. So when you're in an environment like that, how does that, what's your experience? I mean, did, did you feel like as you were talking with these people, they actually seem like they were getting the message and they cared or how did, you know, what did you have to take into account even as you were having that conversation to make sure you connected with them? Well, if I set the stage for the conversation that we had last night, I had naturopathic doctors, you know, I had board certified physicians, I had uh, celebrities of different areas in media and TV. You know, I have people that were psychologists and sociologists. I mean, we're covering a broad spectrum of professional services and each one of these organizations that were represented by the women present, it requires years of experience to even be qualified to be able to run the businesses that they're running. 
And so thinking about that, it would have been completely inappropriate for me to say, ah, well, they just don't get it because there's no way I can be a naturopathic doctor in a 15 minute conversation. And so if you start the conversation by considering this is a very smart, well-educated person who just doesn't have the same domain knowledge that I do, then it just comes down to the same conversation that we talked about earlier in the podcast. What is important? What is your exposure? What are the good practices to reduce your exposure as much as possible? I mean, we spent about 15 minutes in the Q&A session just talking about password safes. Sounds insignificant, but if I can convince um, 30, you know, seven-figure executives to use LastPass or one login or something else so that they have a different password for everything that they log into, not only is that a successful conversation, but then those business owners are going to adopt those practices, have all their employees adopt those practices. They're going to tell all of their friends, everybody wins. Security is improved globally from the ground up just by spending an evening talking to people about password safes and, you know, multi-factor authentication and email filtering and just not clicking on every link that comes in every email. These are really security awareness conversations just put in the context where executives can understand why do I care and what's in it for me. I love it. I absolutely love it. And this is, I mean, this is exactly what I, I want to bring that message to security people because I feel like it's so important. So I got just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. The first is um, we hear there's a, there's like this growing, I, I, it's almost turning into a buzzword, which alarms me a little bit, but mantra from some uh, CISOs when they're asked, you know, how do you, you know, what is your job or, you know, kind of justify their, their existence or whatever. And it's, I enable the business. Have you, I, I assume you've heard that out of other CISOs before. What does that, what does that mean to you when you hear I enable the business what is a CISO, what is the security organization doing or how, how do we actually demonstrate that we enable a business? Unless you have outstanding metrics, I'm not sure that you can quantify how security enables the business because a lot of businesses are gonna do what they do without you. And so if, if we take it back to a risk conversation, um, what I think would be a more appropriate way to frame it is that I equip the business to do what they wanna do in the least risky way possible. Like, you know, the business values DevOps. Security allows DevOps to work very well by creating an environment where you can only deploy code in a secure infrastructure. And so security isn't enabling the business, but they're reducing risk so developers can do what they do. The designers of all these great web applications can be as creative as they want. And now they don't have to become secure coders and learn a new practice. They are free to do whatever they're going to do because security has done what it has to do to make sure the environment is always secure, no matter what somebody else does. You know, it kind of speaks to the other thing that overcooks my grits, where, um, you know, people say that the users are the weakest link, but security and IT working well together in a mature organization should be able to configure everything in the environment that a user can click on a link in a phishing message all the live long day and nothing ever happens. And so if we're going to say people are the weakest link, it could be that security people are overlooking essential things so that business people can just do what they do when they generate no risk or harm to the organization. 
Awesome. Terrific. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, you know, and you mentioned it's like, so we say we're enabling the business without being able to demonstrate how. And I think you did. I think you actually touched on a few things and I would consider it enabling when you, you think about, you, you were talking about keeping the developers from having to learn all these other things. Well, yeah, that, that really does enable them, right? I mean, that, that now enables them to innovate and focus on what they're going to do freely because they know the controls are in place that will keep them safe. Um, so yeah, I, that's absolutely, I'm right there with you. So final question before we wrap up, and this is, I think we're probably going to make this every, I think I'm probably going to ask every guest this. I don't know. We're, we're new. We're exploring. We're creating a new thing here. So I, I, we'll see how it goes. But I told you, I, I, uh, responded to that tweet. Someone asked, you know, if I want to be in cybersecurity leadership, what's the one skill I should learn? So my question is simple. How would you answer that question? What's the one thing you would tell somebody who wants to grow? Maybe they're shooting for that, that CISO role someday, or maybe they just want to grow in, in terms of their leadership position. What would you tell them? They, what's the one piece of advice? If you could give one thing, what would it be? Um, it's one piece of advice divided in half because it depends on the context. So if the person wants to be a security leader and they're already working in security, I highly recommend that that person learn everything they possibly can about the industry of the organization that they're supporting. Like if I'm gonna become a leader in an organization that I already work in, I have to know 100% from beginning to end, how do they make their magic widget? You know, how do we get materials from the mine to the factory, to the smelting machine, to the assembly line stamped out and put into a box? Because every component of the business is going to face some kind of risk where cybersecurity is gonna to contribute to risk reduction. And your ability to talk about that is going to allow you to be in a leadership position. If we approach it from the other direction and you're not in security at all, or you're unemployed, or you're part of the, um, the great resignation, and you're just doing a career transition, um, the best thing that you can learn is the vocabulary. You know, what are we doing and why does it matter? Because reverse malware analysis is what it is, but if you have no idea what the terms mean or the attacks or the approaches or, you know, the variety of cybersecurity vocabulary, you need to know what you're talking about, not so that you can communicate with the business, but so that you can direct and manage your staff who is working on behalf of the business to reduce risk. You know, security leadership is really a coordination activity. When I was a security executive as a full time employee, I reported everything to the business, but I told everybody what they need to do. If you can't tell a security engineer what to do, or if you can't teach a risk analyst how to do threat modeling, then you're going to have gaps in your ability to add value to the organization. So it becomes really important to learn all the practices and the procedures and the language and the approach that is going to produce success, not just in reporting to the business, but also in managing the people that are producing all the value in the organization. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on. I mean, um, for all of you watching, I really hope you enjoyed this and you got something of it. I, I mean, I got definitely quite a bit from this. Um, this has been a great conversation. I can't imagine anybody who could have been a better first you know, episode guest than you, Keon. Absolutely outstanding. Um, what's, the, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you uh, you know, if, if they've got questions, they want to know more maybe about the, the training that you offer or anything else. 
Yeah, um, the easiest way is to just go to class-llc.com, fill out the contact us form, and I'll follow up. Um, because of my title, I get so many solicitations because of my board service or because I'm the owner of the company where people are trying to sell me things. So you need my email address to be able to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you just post, if you fill out the contact us form on the on my corporate website, just say that you were at Alyssa's show, that you were a fan of the program, that you'd like to connect, and I'll just follow up personally via email. Awesome. So that's it. it really, it's time for us to wrap up. But thank you, everybody, who tuned in for the very first episode. A reminder that uh, if you go to the ITSP Magazine website, you can find the link every week. We're here. We're going to be here every week. I'm going to be doing this every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So that's 1 Pacific for those of you on the West Coast. Um, we've got a ton of great guests I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, you know, we've got next week, it'll be Accidental CISO. The week after that, uh, we're lined up to have another great guest uh, in Jules Okafer. And then the week after that, we'll have Wolfgang Gerlich. So tons of great guests, and we're always looking for more. So if you've got those ideas, hit me up on Twitter, at Alyssa M. Infosec. Let me know who you think I should have on the show, who you'd like to hear from. And hope to see you again soon. Last reminder, we do create this show into podcast form that'll be available for you in just a couple days. Again, itspmagazine.com, uh, Securing Bridges podcast. Go find us there and you'll be able to find those episodes as soon as they're available. So thank you all for tuning in. Keon, again, I can't say enough. Thank you for being here. Guest of the first ever episode of Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.